This is the Mindbox podcast hosted by Claire Jacobs. Mindbox is a space to talk about our minds and mental health, so we cover topics that can be of a triggering or sensitive nature. We will always highlight the topics we cover in the show notes of each episode's description, so please read these before listening. Please note we're not medical experts, we're only experts of our own mental health experiences. To find out more about the pod or contact us, find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter using the name Mindvox Pod. everyone today we're going to be talking about the workplace and things like mental health neurodivergence and how to make work life that little bit easier hopefully or, or more manageable when you're in a workplace i've got with me kirsty hayward who is a workspace consultant who focuses on adapting workplaces to improve staff well-being mental health and productivity after years of working long hours lockdown showed kirsty that she needed to make some changes for her own health She resigned and went freelance, putting her health and well-being first, which naturally increased her work performance and productivity. During this time, she was diagnosed with ADHD and learnt ways to adapt how she worked to benefit her neurological condition. She now has a keen interest in educating businesses about the importance of being inclusive of divergence in the workplace. So, of course, I wanted to bring her here to find out a lot more about this key topic. How are you doing, Kirsty? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I hope we'll live up to it. My first question really for you is, why is well-being so important in a work setting? How can it be affected by work? Well, if people are in a good mindset and are feeling good and their mental health and their physical health is in a place of positivity, then people are naturally going to be performing better. Ultimately, that's where the benefits for our business will come into play. You know, we can look at percentages such as 22%, you know, in terms of improved levels of productivity and performance for employees that are you know, they're generally just feeling happier and healthier. So, yeah, as a as a huge a huge number there, I think that's uh, that's often not taken advantage of. Yeah, no, and I can imagine as well if if you've got poor well being or you're struggling personally, then yeah, the ability to go to work to do the work that they're needing and to deal with other humans can be really tricky uh, for a lot of people. So, I guess that's the other side of it. I mean, I understand your career and your work life and home life were quite different before lockdown. I mean, can you tell us what it was like then and what made you sort of decide to change your career so drastically? Yeah, it's a good question. So my career has always been, you know, at a super high pace. Um, I've naturally just always, you know, having ADHD, it's, uh, it's pros and cons to that, aren't there? But, you know, always just very driven and working in very kind of fast pace, sales, target driven, highly pressurized uh, sort of circumstances that I chose to go and work in because that's what I thought I was good at and you know I was able to ultimately continually perform under pressure and as you can appreciate I'm sure that there's a you know there are huge negatives that come with that because is that sustainable you know that's a big question I'm always asking people so I received burnout on a number of occasions again and again and again and I just couldn't understand why I just I just thought there was something wrong with me you know I'm working really hard and, and surely that's the right way of doing things you know to be successful and and produce results you know I was always pat on the back well done Kirsty you're you know top of the sales team again this year and so I was always told that it was a good thing. And then I'd obviously need to take time out to recover and recuperate. And I just, yeah, so I couldn't understand why. So when lockdown happened, everything stopped didn't it, for everybody. So I was just sort of sat in my flat, as we all, as we all were, just thinking, 
what am I going to do? I didn't have that social connection. I had a lot too much time to reflect and think. So I, you know, explored more therapy, which was really helpful. And then I thought, you know what, when I was diagnosed with ADHD, I started exploring that and I had a good old hyper-focus and and learning um, about ways to better manage my symptoms, if it were, and how I could channel more positive results that were sustainable. And that's when I thought, well, I'll take my experience of creating workspaces Um, And I'm very strategy focused anyway, I always have been. And I'm going to couple that with effectively supporting those mental and physical health at work and educating corporate businesses that I was working with. So I decided to, yeah, to take the leap and um, set up my company. And and here we are. (laughs) So was it within lockdown where you discovered the ADHD or how did it come about that you even got to the point of being assessed for it? That's a funny story. In short, I was in Asda with my friend who is a, a special needs teacher, uh, and we were super close. We were, I was in the aisle, I was rushing up and down as I do. I mean, I hate food shopping. I hate food shopping. <laughs> I find it very overwhelmed, very stressful. And I go in for, with my list, you know, very organised, and I come out with four things that I just felt like I fancy and none of my items that I need, right? I should have known then, really. But anyway, she was said to me, Kirsty, I, th- I really think you might have ADHD. <laughs> but tried to be really tactful. And, and I just was like, what? I sort of halted, you know, like in midair. What? What is this thing? And I'd heard of it, but I always thought, you know, it's always these negative connotations I always mm. felt in my experience at that time and my, my ignorance, really, that was back then. Um, anyway, so I went home and I studied neuro- everything there was to know about neurodiversity. And I took on an ADHD coach who was very helpful. And I just started to explore what that would look like. And so I found uh, Psychiatry UK, who was very helpful. They told me there was a two-year waiting list. And uh, they, they effectively expedited the process. I just, you know, within months, they'd contacted me and said that there's been a, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit, bit spiritual these days. And I do think that you know, the, you know, the universe had it there for me. And they were like, actually, we suddenly have a gap. You know, you can come right to the front of the queue. I was really, really fortunate. And the psychologist that I worked with was incredible. And I was diagnosed very quickly, literally within months. And that was that was how I was diagnosed and, and how quickly it, it happened. So I was very lucky. Very how long ago was that? So how long have you known that you have ADHD? I'd say a couple of years now, maybe 18 months or so. You know, it feels like a lot longer. So uh, I, I think around 18 months or so. Mm. But, um, you know, it's, been, it's transformed my life. That would be an understatement. I'm, uh, I'm very, very grateful that I know about it. And I, I talk about it all the time. Even mm. in a taxi driver uh, journey yesterday, the lady was telling me that she thought her daughter had uh, ADHD, who's seven. We had this great big chat about it. And when I left, she was almost emotional. She was saying to me, God, thank you so much. I just didn't know, you know, I was just like, this is just incredible. We need to share and share the awareness and, you know, make people realise that it's it's okay. You know, there's nothing doesn't have to be a negative connotation with it you know mm. and I think that's why I'm really I'm quite impressed that the main part of your job is is to go and talk to big companies about how to be more inclusive of things like neurodivergence as well as other mental health conditions I mean obviously neurodivergence is not a mental health condition but a lot of neurodivergence end up with mental health conditions from the trauma of trying to live life in a neurotypical society but I will get off my soapbox on that one because that's not the topic of this episode but I guess looking back now you have your diagnosis when you look at your career up until that point can you see now how the ADHD affected it I mean what were the pros and cons of your ADHD within your career do you think I mean I'm still I'm still learning the answers to that question really but you know the more obvious ones would be you know I can work at quite a pace 
I struggle to, to, to sort of be slow, <laughs> as it were. And then, you know, as at the beginning of this, of this uh, podcast, you know, it's, is that sustainable? Uh, and for me, the answer was no, um, it wasn't sustainable. It certainly wasn't healthy, you know, constantly being rewarded for being, and I really hate this word, but successful, <laughs> you know, and it was so unfulfilling. I was so unfulfilled and I couldn't understand why. Um, and that was like awareness. So, you know, the positives for that were that I could I could do a lot and I could help make a business successful and make the money through my speed and my dedication and, you know, being passionate for whatever I was doing at that point in time, something that I was good at. Um, but the negatives are for that, 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 you know, it made me ill, really. It made me ill a number of times. And I was very lucky to find out at such a young age, you know, my mid-30s, so that I could change that course of, of behavior, really. So, but there are, there is a long list, but those would be the, the primary ones, I would say, that are the most obvious. So what have you changed? Obviously, you've gone freelance, but what what, have, what changes have you made specifically to avoid things like burnout? Because this is, I'm intrigued because I often get that. So I'd love to know, you know, where I could amend things to reduce that happening because it's horrible. <laughs> I know, I know, I understand it. And I, and I hugely empathise as well because, you know, there's no right answer. You know, I think for me, the process is different for everybody um, and everyone will have different, you know, as we come to workspaces, you know, the whole, everyone has different sensory profiles and everyone has different, you know, elements on the spectrum and everyone has different disabilities, visual, you know, there's so many different elements to it. But the things that work for me uh, or have worked for me are first it was being diagnosed the second one was then becoming aware and doing lots of research and also realizing that I wasn't alone and then I started talking about it and I found that really helpful then from there I then um, joined some groups started chatting to people who were just like me or very similar to me I should say similar behavioral traits and then I had an ADHD coach he was incredible and then I tried a little bit of medication um, just to see how it would make me feel. Would it work? You know, if, did I feel any different? And then I practice uh, things I do today. Are I do a lot of mindfulness meditation. So every single night I do a little bit of manifestation and guided meditation. Guided for me is better because I don't get so distracted. I, whenever people say meditate, I struggle with it. And I imagine a lot of ADHDs do because you're just yeah. supposed to concentrate on your thoughts. So you pick things where there's a person literally guiding you through to keep you you're focusing on their voice, I guess, and what they're asking you to do. That's a really big part of it. And I tried thousands of different types, but the guided one, I use Jason Stevenson usually. I just like his, his voice is very calming, but I use a lot of his guided meditations. And then another thing I do, because I can find that my mood can be a little bit up and down. And I know now that that's from RSD, which is the um, rejection sensitivity dysphoria that comes with a lot of um, ADHD is you know, negative thinking can spiral because you're working, you know, the positive thoughts are great, they're at a high speed, but if you're feeling down or negative, then it goes going to go the other way, right? So I keep myself positive or, you know, however possible. I mean, I have a dog, so I walk him three times a day and every single walk, I'll put on a different positivity TED talk or a positivity mindset uh, podcast, or I'm always, always doing things subconsciously that will remind me of how powerful mindset is and to think positively, positively. So I do those. Um, I started doing yoga, which has been incredible. And I exercise three times a week. I would have to do exercise every single day, one hour minimum and, you know, all or nothing. But I'm really learning. To, it doesn't need to be all or nothing, Kirsty. You can do it at a sensible pace. And that is sustainable. And then just simple things like changing my diet. You know, I don't, I don't really eat sugar. I definitely don't drink coffee anymore. I only drink decaf. Huge improvement there. So just, just lots of little tweaks, really. I, there was no big one right answer there are lots of small things um mm. i got myself an office that's a big thing 
So although I'm in a co-working space, I have an office where I can shut the door so I can focus. And my environment is how it suits me. So I can turn the music up if I want to have some music on and feel jolly or have a thing. I can turn it off if I need to focus. I've got a light setting here with some, you know, it's sort of circadian rhythmic lighting where I can change the, it's got 50 different settings on it. You know, I can oh. sit here and I can put all these plants in here to sort of calming and nature scenes. It's just, just little things like that, you know, make that a big difference, I think. amazing, that room, the lighting. I need to look into things like that because my send you some rhythm is all over the place. Um, but <laughs> are you still on the meds or did you find that they didn't work for you when you tried them? It's a really interesting question. and I find it can be a bit controversial. It's a mi- I get a mixed reaction, really. Um, mm. I like to sort of study things and, and try new things. I, for me personally, I don't necessarily want to feel like I'm reliable on medication forever. That's not something I... I want to try to do so yes I am but I've come down to a very low dosage now I'm, I'm actually weaning myself I'm actually managing my own dosage with the psychiatrist um so I've come right down to the almost the minimum and I've done it very very slowly over the course of about eight months and I still feel as productive and focused in the mornings by taking a very low milligramage and I know that's because of all these other behaviors and and, and practices that I've put into place to keep myself in a stable foundation I'm actually happier now than I have been for a long time but I'm on the lowest dose that I've ever been on so you know within six months from here maybe I won't be on any at all uh, that's mm. my plan well that sounds really good because yeah I think like you I'm very scared of taking medications I'm not a fan so this is I'm still in titration and it's tricky they do have a lot of side effects and it's that like you said if you can find other ways to get yourself to still be able to focus and to feel good then definitely they're the ways to go forward aren't they so I'm quite impressed you've done that and I'll have to hear some more tips from you really I think. What I would say on the medication is I remember when I spoke to my coach the night before they arrived they were sat on my desk for about three days and I remember crying to him thinking that I would have a heart attack in the night and that I was just terrified. I was just absolutely terrified of what this medication would do to me. And he just kept me so calm and so focused and made me feel so safe. And I, it just improved everything for a short period. And I'm not saying that that's for everyone because it will affect everybody differently. But for me, it was a very, very helpful short-term solution with other behavioral changes and lifestyle changes that I made. And like you said, it doesn't ever have to be long-term. It might be you dipping in and out of that the rest of your life. You might occasionally feel you need that little help. Sometimes you won't. I think that's the same, and especially for women as we get older. Our ADHD sadly does get worse because our estrogen depletes and causes a lot more problems. But again, that's another podcast. <laughs> I think another question I've got really is sort of what are the common problems that I know you've you've touched upon what yours were, but but what can the common problems be for neurodivergent people or people with mental health conditions in the workplace from your experience with your clients and anyone else that you've you've helped so far? Sure. I mean, there are a long list of things, really. But if I was to couple a a short, uh, very short list together, the the most common ones are noise. So for me, I will find (laughs) I'm hugely distracted very easily. (laughs) Um, I could be distracted by a butterfly going past because it's got a pretty, you know, pretty wings or something, you know. (laughs) Um, And that's it now for the rest, you know, for another hour, you know, I'll just forget what I was doing and start doing something else. So noise pollution is is a huge element that I found by controlling that that element in a workspace can be hugely beneficial. I mean, it will take around 23 minutes for an app, you know, for a person that's not neurodivergent to be distracted and get back onto task. So you can only imagine somebody with ADHD, for example, how long that would take. Yeah. So mm. by looking at things like uh, noise pollution, so things like 
sound masking, for example, can be hugely effective and having it in the right areas. Did you say sound masking? What is that? Yeah, it's effectively, well, in terms of what it would look like, you've probably seen it in the offices, but it hangs from the ceiling. You can either have white noise or you can have it making a noise. And it's very, very, very quiet. You can't really hear it. The idea, especially because of the white noise, and it effectively controls the noise in that particular area. So if I was to be, let's say, a busy contact centre or something, Mm. and you've got some areas all open plan, because I think open plan tends to still be quite a common way of designing workspaces, and in my opinion, is not hugely effective, Mm -hmm. um, you'll be distracting the team that are sat just to the side of you. And they may may be working on a very admin-orientated task that requires a lot of concentration. So by applying sound masking and having a sound expert to come in and have a look at that space, that can hugely prevent any uh, noise disturbance for the nearby teams. And if, for example, they felt that maybe they had a smaller budget or they didn't want to go down the route of sound masking, they could then look at things like acoustic panels or acoustic desk supports. There are so many different things that you can use that are on the market now that you know, aesthetically look beautiful, don't have to be highly expensive, but can also really control the noise in that area. And that can be hugely effective. Yeah, that's interesting because I, when I used to work in an office, I was a full-time social worker and when I would, I remember we moved. So I had a little sort of shut-off room initially with just one other person, sometimes two. And then I compared it, we went to an open planned venue and it was much harder for me to get my work done. As soon as we moved, I noticed I had to try and find, you know, I didn't know I had ADHD back then. So I didn't know I had sensory processing disorder. And I did not know that, well, still waiting. It's highly likely I've also got autism. Like a lot of women have both. And my senses are massive. And I really never understood why I couldn't cope with so many people in one room. I mean, there was only like eight of us. It's not like, you know, some of these offices where there's 50, 60 people on the floor. And I think... I just could not do that. And I just think we never had those things like you were saying, the white noise. I mean, for me, um, it's quite interesting. I've been down that rabbit hole recently where brown noise is amazing for a divergent brain. And I love brown noise now. You know, I work from home now where I can. So I find that very distracting. And I sometimes will put in my little headphones and just put on brown noise on loop. And it's amazing how that suddenly helps me not be distracted by what I can hear in the garden and, you know, people with the tellies on another Do you see what I mean? It's really helpful. But I just didn't realise having something hung from an office could, could do that in an open plan. That's amazing. And I suppose you are freelance now and kind of work from home, but you've chosen to have an office. Is there a reason that you didn't stay at home and just create like, space there is it better to have an office for me personally it worked really well going back to the noise pollution you know in the workplace it impacts the concentration and productivity of 69 percent of us so that's a huge amount but ultimately the impact of having social connection you know for me is even more important um and will you know can impact us even further so at home i didn't have that social connection um at all i and also having the challenges which I still have now where I will work too much and I really have to manage that I've just started taking weekends off now which was too late really I should have been doing this ages ago you know but building a business and doing freelancing and things it's been limiting time but so I, I wanted to find a balance of how can I have the social connection that I need and that I thrive on but also being able to really control my environment in a in a fact where it's quiet you know I've got aircon in here and it's very I can I can literally control every element in this room and that I have become so much more productive as a result of that. But, you know, when we finish this this podcast, I'm going to be going outside and making a coffee in the communal kitchen area, 
have a chat with people for 10 minutes or so and and get that kind of social connection need for my you know for my morning and then maybe take the dog out for 10 minutes come back and then I'm going to sit here and be able to focus again maybe with some music on the radio quietly in the background so for me that worked really really well it can be a very small thing but Mm. noise is 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 hugely impactful at work and and you know certainly not always in the the positive manner that we all think there are lots of benefits from having an open plan in terms of the social environment and feeling a part of something but when we create workspaces you know we create zoning um zoning is something that I do with every single space you'll find that you know a lot of businesses will concentrate and and feel like they want to invest into spaces that promote creativity and collaboration which is where that open plan theory comes from but you know it's it's as important to have areas that provide restoration and retreat and 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 not even for those with news just with neurodiversity we're talking about everybody right we want to create an inclusive space and you may feel different from one day to the next the personality type will be different from the person sat next to you. You know, the weather may have affected your mood today. You may suffer from SADS. You, you know, you may have neurodiversity. You may not. You may just be feeling a bit, you know, had a tough weekend or some family issues and just want to hide away. And that that's how we create workspaces that are inclusive. It's making sure that we've got different areas that not only support task and but also providing the choice for those individuals to be able to choose how and which they would like to work that day. And ultimately, those people are best placed to know what their needs are and how they can best complete that task that day. So let's provide workspaces that do that. I mean, I love the way that you've got an office. I'd love to do that, but I don't, sadly, don't earn enough to to be able to rent one really to justify it. But I have that thing where I prefer my own space. I like to shut the door and get on with my stuff. I work better with quiet. And my issue, like you said, I now don't ever see anyone. My socialising literally is this podcast where I talk to some strangers uh, a few times a week and record them and then edit edit them. I don't have a social life apart from when my partner visits me like two weekends a month. That's it. So I've quite isolated myself, which I think has other dangers, doesn't it? So I I find it quite interesting that you've managed to find that balance without having to go and work, you know, in a big team of people. But I guess if there's someone in a workplace who is not even divergent necessarily, depressed, because I've had some serious de- bouts of depression or burnout now as I look at it, and I've had to still work five days a week and had to go there, otherwise I can't pay my bills. But going in an open plan office, you know, there's no space to just, there's times where you just cannot cope with other people talking to you, trying to be all, oh, what are you up to? Do you want to go for lunch? You just want to shut the world away. How can people, particularly things like depression or severe anxiety, like how can an office cater to people like that especially if they don't have their own private room to work from for instance well it's a really good question I mean there are a couple of things on that I would say I mean I'm certainly no by no structure psychologist in any way at all but I do like to read a lot and I find um, psychology fascinating but in, in my opinion from reading doing lots of research there are nine basic needs that every human being needs to feel happy healthy and balanced and you know one of those is social connection and then others are promoting independence, creativity, for example, they're another couple. But there are others where there is, you know, safety is another one. And I think that comes back to that sort of area of uh, psychological safety. So by coming back to the conversation about zoning, it's it's very easy and and it's also very cost effective. It doesn't cost a great deal at all. In fact, you know, some employers will even try and do it themselves where they'll sort of, I know I would encourage that if they have no budget to do that. Create different areas where there are areas for quiet time, and for focus so you know there may be a phone booth for example that you could book out this i'm in this co-working space uh, um, here in brighton and there are 
several phone booths and there are several little hut areas that you can sit in that have you know acoustic supporting all around the the unit so literally as you walk past you could put your head in and out you know that, that scene out of Ace Ventura where it opens and shuts the doors you can't hear you can hear you know they can be extremely effective so you can still get that sort of quiet you know, put your headphones in and focus and concentrate and feel psychologically safe without having to go and spend lots of money on sound masking or you know uh, refurbish your office from scratch for example you know just simple things like I always felt you know if I go and sit in a park in the summer or on the beach um, and go and work that's going to be really good for me because that's really cathartic I'm by the sea but actually talking to my ADHD coach it made me realize that you know we live in a society where life is pretty high you know we've become quite hyper vigilant you know life is on the go we're fast paced we're always going and actually our body psychologically in my understanding, is constantly on the lookout. You know, we're always kind of trying to keep ourselves safe, coming back to that core of our psychological needs. So actually that was, I thought what I was doing was really good for me, but I wasn't able to fully relax and concentrate and read my book, study, and I couldn't understand why. And that's because I'm putting my body into a situation that isn't psychologically safe. So really we want to be cocooned in a quiet corner with, you know, perhaps even a lower sort of lower level ceiling and low level lighting and put a little bit of nature around us, maybe some planting or, you know, maybe some low level music. And, and I always seek out those areas very specifically when I need that now, rather than going to sit in a, yeah, a large open plan space or a busy coffee shop, for example. Yeah, you, I would have made the same assumption. So it's really interesting. Actually, that's a, not the thing you're supposed to do, go and sit on a beach. Or sometimes I think, well, maybe I should go to a library. Would I be more productive there? But, you know, the dog can't go there. And, and my dog actually does kind of help me in a weird way. And I, I think it's amazing that your office space, you're allowed to bring your dog in so he can just chill there while you're you know, taking for a walk when you want a break. That will force you to move and do the things that sometimes we get stuck and in hyper focus but actually if we've got a dog whining hang on i want to go out for a wee come on you're going to exactly. go and have that little break that you might not have done if the dog wasn't there especially when you've got adhd what are the other common problems i mean i as she was talking i immediately thought you know what one of the other things i couldn't stand was those bright horrible big i don't know what they're called those tube lights strip yeah, fluorescent lighting yeah yeah exactly. always gave me headaches and stomach aches and i was told i got abdominal migraines from them it just schools have them as well and i well, i just cannot stand it so what are the other sort of typical problems that you tend to have to go in and, and advise that they change for people's well-being well the process that we use when we create workspaces is we when we do interior design we use a process called biophilic design and biophilic design is really, I use it almost, we use it as effectively as a sort of checklist, really. And it's about effectively bringing nature outdoors, indoors. But we also look at um, how we can introduce as many natural resources as possible within the workspace. And lighting is one of those. Lighting is is impactful as noise. So lighting and noise and zoning would be the first few things that we would look at. You're right. And, and those lights will be giving you a headache. So you can actually you know, as a business, we would always encourage that you sit as close to the window as possible. So I'm in a very small workspace and to, because I'm in a, you know, two or three person office, but I have very limited natural light in here. So I, I'm, and I'm very conscious of that. So I have a lamp that will provide different sensory types of lighting, different levels and colors. I have blue light, white light and different shades in between. But in the afternoons, I will go out and I'll go and sit in the quiet space and I'll make sure I'm always sat by a window. And the impact of that is, you know, it, it will make a huge difference to your thought processes, to your concentration, to your productivity levels, just generally how you feel. So I would absolutely say, you know, um, lighting is key in a workspace. So look at where your employees are sat. 
and you know and, and to make sure they're sat as close to a window that ideally can open again fresh air has a it has a huge impact on your on your health as well so yeah that's certainly something to look at and then you've got things such as you know the colors and textures you know these are all things the materials that you use in a workspace for example you know i would always try to use natural um materials so yeah i think there's a huge group of, of elements and we we work through this biophilic design interior design process and and check these off as we go through. But it's incredible the impact that, that this can have on, on a person's mental health at work and physical health. What does nat- the natural sort of, like you were talking about, use natural materials, what does that do? Like, If you didn't, what can happen? Well, I mean, it's already happening, really. It's, a, it's about if you do introduce these um, biophilic design principles, what it can do. And when you do introduce biophilic design principles, you know, that's when you can look at the figures that we talked about at the beginning we do because we carry out pre and post occupancy surveys on the workspaces that we create and you'll see things like a huge improvement to employee retention um, absenteeism sickness you'll see well hugely boost in terms of your um, recruitment processes because people will want to come and work in those workspaces productivity improvements of 22 percent um, it will reduce symptoms of having ADHD. There's a whole host of benefits of using a, It's a sustainable way of design, basically. So it's good for the people and also for the planet. Um, it's the missing link in sustainable design. And, and certainly in my opinion, I talk about biophilic design a lot in terms of workspace. I've never heard of it. And now I'm going to obviously have to Google it. I wouldn't even know how to spell that. <laughs> I'll try and find a way. It sounds really it's, intriguing. It is. And that's that's what I really built my business around. Because I was thinking, you know, we create workspaces already, but what more can there be done? And by using biophilic design, it's effectively a concept. It's used within the building industry, basically, to increase occupant connectivity to the natural environment, really. And, and that's done you know, through three ways, which is the use of direct nature, indirect nature, and space and place conditions. Those are the three key elements. And that looks at things like textures, colors, materials, lighting, noise, you know, all of these, these key concepts, making sure that you've got areas designated for different types of sensory conditions, uh, people with neurodiversity, and you're creating a healthier workspace. So by using natural resources, you're, you know, you're preserving, you're preserving a planet effectively. Mm. And also you're creating a workspace that's, you know, economically, you're running a more efficient workspace. So, you know, you can reduce your running and costs of a building by up to 80%. You know, it's, mm. for me, it's a no brainer. So this is something I'm constantly talking about. If it was a very small, I don't know, a startup company, so, you know, even like you this year's just been it was you initially until you started taking on other people but for people that are brand new in or a tiny little independent companies I don't know not the little pet store I went to today you know they, they, there's a team of two if if they don't have the funds to have someone as amazing as you come and sort this out and renovate are there any little things that they could do that would make a, a big impact on the things you've been mentioning yeah, just things we've really talked about. I mean, things like making sure they've got plenty of natural light. And if, for example, like you said earlier, some people might not be able to afford to have an office. I, you know, there was only one office space left in this building, actually. So I couldn't, wasn't able to have one with natural light. And obviously knowing the impact of that is very important to me. But I needed an option where I could come in and be able to shut the door for all the benefits we talked about. So I've gone ahead with it as a temporary solution. But I always go and sit outside, you know, sorry, not outside, it's freezing, go and sit in an area where there's natural light for my whole afternoon, for example. So natural light's really important. Making sure that you've got access to natural outside, basically. So making sure that you're going for regular walks and, and getting fresh air. Ideally, making sure that you've got access to, you know, if it's not direct nature, indirect nature. So putting up 
I just ordered some beautiful big prints for the walls of some beautiful rainforests and waterfalls. And I'm going to cover my walls in those um, in the next few days when they arrive, making sure that you've got, you know, you feel psychologically safe in the space. So, you know, making sure that you've got areas that you can sort of just sit and relax, even if it's just a nice, comfortable soft furniture, if you know you want to put your feet up for 10 minutes or you know, just making sure that you've got that flexibility depending on, on how you're feeling that day. Um, and you can buy secondhand furniture. You know, I furnished this whole workspace, this whole office with, you know, secondhand sustainable materials. So it is doable on a, on a much smaller budget. And I guess with someone that like me who's just at home, who doesn't have an office space and no one else sort of with me, I guess those w- would still apply. You know, try and use a room that's got a lot of natural light. Uh, maybe, well, where I am now, dining room, I can see my garden. Not that I've taken care of it recently, but it's still, <laughs> I can see the birds if they're coming, you know, things like that. But I guess as well, if with people like me with ADHD and things like that, are there things in the home that little, little touches that you can change to help? things like focus because for me it's very easy for me to be starting work but then doing a task that I really don't like so I'm not getting my dopamine a really boring admin task for instance and suddenly this procrastination starts and oh why don't I go clean that shelf that I haven't touched for a a year or why don't I go do some laundry that I could do later but I just don't really want to be doing this so my head goes everywhere and I think in in, I think that's probably for a lot of freelancers at home you always end up doing things that isn't work because you're at home so you answering the door to a you know your delivery man you're, you're doing the hoovering you're doing things that are not your work so is there any ways of reducing that for people like me yeah that's a really good question I mean there are two elements to that I think there are things there I, I, I will I will always look at things on a sort of physical level but there are also things there by the sounds of it on sort of a mental level as well in terms of how you can channel that focus so on a physical level, I would suggest things that we've applied already. So things looking at the lighting that you have in that room. You know, I got this lamp and it cost me 40 quid, which, you know, certainly you can buy. It is maybe not looks, you know, it's not the most beautiful thing. But it's white, it's, you know, does the job and it, it's even easily movable. So I can put it at home if I want to. But, you know, it has all of these, you know, incredible settings depending on, you know, I might have a headache, for example. So rather than just sitting here and forcing through it, I can change the settings and it will hugely impact my level of focus depending on how I'm feeling or how tired I am perhaps or the time of day for example so that, that it's something as simple as that it doesn't need to be overly expensive I would fill the room with plants would be another thing um, and, and just make sure there's as much exposure to direct and indirect nature as possible in that space I'm a big fan of green <laughs> so I, my whole front room is full of plants I mean it's a bit of a pain having ADHD trying to remember to water them and things but <laughs> that's another story making sure that you've got you know it's not too much of a busy space but also making sure that it's not too plain so you mm-hmm. want to try and find that right balance of a little bit of color but not too much so you know when I decorated this room I got that wall painted pink but the rest of it's very calm my focus here where I actually work is a very calm space with a very nice balance of color so it's just making sure that you, but if I'm doing a some more creative tasks I'll switch around and work from that side so it's just adapting the workspace with small elements and I always have control of the music so I might put like you suggested earlier some brown or white noise on Mm -hmm. or maybe some more upbeat lively music for example depending on how I'm feeling and what task I'm doing and also making sure you can see outside being my my Mm. biggest suggestion you're talking about the painting of the walls and stuff are there any colors that are a definite no-no when trying to create somewhere where you're going to focus and get your work done Well, it comes back to this whole element of flexibility. So the answer is really you want both. You always want to be able to support whatever task you're doing and your mood, really. So I would have an area, if you're at home, you obviously can't zone the whole house. (laughs) That would probably be taking it a step too far. 
but you could certainly have an area where you're working when you're doing a more creative task where you know you want to make, make a bit of a mess and you want a bit of color or a nice or you're facing a beautiful picture with loads of colors on it and maybe put your nice funky music on but then if you're going to be doing a task that might be a bit more admin orientated you might want to have an area where the lighting is brighter for a little bit brighter to help your concentration level for example you might want to turn the music down and put a different type of music on and then you're going to be focusing so if you've got some building works, I've got loads of building works at home going on at the moment. So I won't sit in my usual spot. I'll go and sit upstairs in the office, for example. So it's just it's trying to have a bit of both. It's, it's the balance, really, because you, you're going to feel different from one day to the next. Mm. So therefore, your, your task station, if it's one fixed way, it's not going to support you every single day. Does that make sense? So you've got to try and find a way to bring both calming, sort of neutrally styled areas for when you you know the mood needs that to sort of bold maybe funky creative styley areas is that have i got that right like kind of have a mix of the two but not obviously next to each other but a space where when you really need as few distractions as possible because it's a task you absolutely can't stand but then maybe somewhere where like you said you've got music you've got some bright colors stuff to look at when it's a more fun task that you do usually enjoy doing in work is that is that right exactly that will sort of promote your creativity and 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 really get your you know your blood pumping and get you sort of thinking creatively and and doing a multitasking but you perhaps at home that might not be feasible because you might have a small workspace and maybe if that is the case and you have a home office that's perhaps you know white walls and it's quite plain and you know like everyone's spare room when you move into a house Mm. mine was certainly like that when I moved in is I'd made that space calming with my favorite colors and some nice pictures on the walls and some nice forestry, lots of plants. And that would be my focus space. Mm. But then when I wanted to do a more creative task, I would then take myself away from home and I'd go to a a slightly more bustling cafe or a co-working space, which is how I found here. So you could do it. You wouldn't have to necessarily adapt to a home space because Mm. that might be practical. But it's just about thinking ahead. What tasks do I need to do today? And what environment is going to best support me to, to, to carry out that task? A good idea and in terms of the plants i know what you mean yeah people are like but i kill plants well the one thing that's amazing is succulents they are my favorite they're also very pretty there's so many different variants they're gorgeous but they're desert plants so they very rarely need watering they thrive on not being watered so i have them around my house so for people that don't like killing plants get some succulents <laughs> they're the best that's a very good plan it's a very good plan <laughs> and there are you know lots of benefits to having plants that, you know benefits that you can't see you know in terms of taking toxins out the air and mm. it's not a coincidence that if we you know go for a big hilly walk and we look over the horizon it's not a coincidence that we feel better there is there are things that psychologically are happening to our body that genuinely will make us feel calmer more relaxed more grounded more connected and that's effectively the, what we're trying to create when we're at, when we're in our workspaces. Oh, 100%. Um, I think ecotherapy, I've, I've been a huge fan of for a few years now. Things like tree bathing, it's immense. Just standing amongst some trees, you know, for a few minutes does wonders to the brain. Something chemical, it's amazing. I can't remember the, the science behind it. But yes, being near nature, I suppose that's why, yeah. Randomly, I've picked a room right next to my garden. Unconsciously, I want to be near the nature, even if I'm inside. So that makes a lot of sense. If you are someone that's divergent or has mental health problems and you're in an office and they're not very, you know, they've got nothing in place. They haven't seen people like you to, to make sure that their, their office works for these people. What can a person do? Would they approach their boss and ask for something? Like, what could they ask for as amendments to sort of help their, their well-being at work? 
Well, I guess it's just a very honest conversation with them. I guess it depends on whether you're trying to encourage the employer to make the adaptations or whether you're able to do them yourself. I guess, again, that would come back to depending on what your role was within the business, whether you worked in a team, whether you know you worked on a fixed station, whether you were able to move around in the workspace. But I guess, you know, for me, it's it's about trying to engage with the employer and explaining I'm really struggling and, and this is why. And I feel as though, you know, I'd really benefit from being able to make the small changes, some of the things that we've talked about today, for example, and asking if that would be feasible to do that. And then if not, maybe I know some companies will give memberships to some of their employees to go and work in co-working spaces. It's very common now. Or maybe being able to ask if you could do, you know, the typical two, three day week switch. So you're working hybrid and then you're working in the office. And then you can try and carry out the more creative tasks that you will thrive off the hustle and bustle, not be too distracted when you're doing your creative tasks in the office where it is a bit noisier. And then working on your more the tasks that require a bit more concentration, perhaps, and focus at home. And then you can create that area of restoration and concentration that we talked about at home. So you're managing that level of environment. But I guess it really depends on how flexible and open the employer is. I mean, you know, for every pound spent by an employer on mental health at work, they can expect to see a five pound return. So there are there are many statistics. I talk about it a lot on my LinkedIn. There are many, many statistics that will benefit a business um, by investing. It doesn't need to be a great deal in terms of their workspace. You know, if they want staff back, there are things that they can do. And these are some of the things that they can do um, with immediate impact. That was exactly my next question. It was going to be, if businesses were to make these changes, what would they expect to see as a result that makes them think it's really worth my time to make these changes and get someone in to to make sure that we are as inclusive as possible? So it's amazing. that So they'll actually make more money by making these changes. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, just some of the statistics in terms of introducing a sustainable way of designing, you know, we can expect to see improvements to workplace well-being, which we've talked about, you know, 15% in productivity, a 22% reduction in use of medication and healthcare environment environments, um, 25% increase to learning levels and educational environments. You know, these are scientifically proven statistics. The list is endless. Um I mean, amazing. I, I know there was a company in the US. I was reading a report recently. It was um, it was JP Morgan Chase, I think, that produced it. Um, and there was a contact center that were exploring the element, the concept, sorry, of biophilic design. And they applied biophilic design to a proportion of their call center, and then they studied those results. And they saw that afterwards, the call handlers were answering calls, uh, handling calls, seven percent faster than those that weren't. So they went ahead and they proceeded to do the whole building and they redesigned the whole workspace. And in three, in less than three months, they'd seen a return by almost three times over in less than three months of their whole year. That's how immediate the, the impact was, you know, in terms of creating the nature in the workspace, the space will then demonstrate an immediate psychological response upon biophilic exposure, which reduces obviously stress and anxiety and, and various other things that we've talked about. So there's a huge impact. Yeah, and I guess if over time as well, if if you feel safer in your workplace and you're getting more support and you'll be able to do things at your pace and you're not feeling like high pressure, hopefully, you're like less likely to burn out, less likely to be off sick with, you know, depression, anxiety, things like that. So you're going to provide more days of work for them on a yearly basis as well, aren't you? I guess these physical changes, it makes sense how they can help with things like sensory and things like that. But do you also, when you work with these businesses, are you trying to teach them ways 
to deal with people, particularly with mental health conditions, actually, where, well, and divergence, I suppose, is the same thing, really, in terms of pressure. Because a lot of the, you know, like a commission-based office, you pressure, pressure, pressure to try and make those sales, to get your money, you get your commission, da-da-da-da. You've got to reach this amount of sales per month. That's not good for the brain. It's not good for the well-being. Do you also talk to them about the way they work as opposed to, or is it just about workspaces and the practical side of it? Yeah, so originally that was my actual, that was actually my original plan was to just look at the physical workspaces because that was my background. But then I started to sort of scour the market and, and I was thinking, okay, so not all businesses are going to be in a position, perhaps they, you know, are waiting to, to, for growth or they're in a permanent lease for a bit longer and they can't adapt the workspaces. So what, anyway, what else can I do? So I partnered with, um, I now have 10 associates that I work with who I've extensively search the market for these people they're market leaders in what they do and I have everything from organizational psychologists through to neurodiversity specialists and mental and physical health experts covering things like nutrition and physical health so I have these 10 associates and the one that specializes in neurodiversity I do a lot with her we just prepared a two-year strategy for a company that uh, FTSE 100 company that are looking to better support their employees they've got 27,000 employees and, and offices all over the world and they said to me, Kirsty, how can we become neuroinclusive? What do we need to do? So there are a whole host of things that you can do. So I've brought in um, Sarah, who's my neurodiversity expert. To, and together we've created this two-year strategy through a succession of things, sort of from everything from fireside panels to, you know, to public speaking through to a variety of bespoke workshops that will teach people everything from how to provide a neuroinclusive recruitment process to, through to having to engage how to better support those day to day in work, how to adapt the language, how to uh, better support in terms of comms, because 17% of our employees are neurodivergent. Therefore, 17% of their customers will also be neurodivergent as well. So it's about how that business portrays themselves to their market and, and those 17% of those customers. So there's a whole host of things that you can do. And that's something that we've, um, we've started doing a lot more of, which is really exciting because that wasn't originally my plans. No, I'm happy you've done that. I think that's brilliant. And do you operate across the entire UK? Well, actually, we do internationally um, in terms of our workshops. We have over 120 workshops. Most of them are, are online these days because people just tend to prefer to do things online and face-to-face -face still, yeah, although that's changing brilliant. slightly. <laughs> I know. Although we do encourage certainly a mix. I would always encourage a mix for sure. But in terms of physical workspaces, we, we cover the UK. I've got projects up in Leeds through to do lots of work in London. I'm doing a few projects in Birmingham at the moment. So uh, one in Sheffield. So yeah, there's, there's we sort of dotted about really. It just uh, just depends on where the needs are. Are there more businesses in this country getting on board with things like neurodiversity and mental health in terms of being more inclusive? Or are you still finding that you're having to try and persuade them to understand the importance of it? Like what's your view of it whilst, in this year that you've been doing it? In terms of the physical workspaces, there's certainly more of an education um, element around that because I think there's a nervousness because people don't know what to do. So I've started writing a lot of more articles and doing a lot more podcasts and blogs and talks around this to give people solutions they can start to do themselves and they'll start to see the impact immediately and then they'll come back and say, we would like to do more of this. So there's, there's lots of that going on in terms of the physical environment. And in terms of the workshops, very little persuasion at all, really. Um, people are increasingly becoming much more confident talking about neurodiversity so I think that that confidence is then being displayed to employers who are like 
we need to do something about this because all of these people are talking about it and we want to encourage our people back to the workplace or to improve our productivity levels, performance levels, or just we just want to do better for our for our people. And naturally, that's that's coming out in terms of, you know, that, that company that contacted me about this two-year strategy, they contacted us. So, yeah, I would say it's a bit of a mix depending on what kind of project it is and just size of the company, where they're at in terms of their strategy. And, yeah, I think it's a, a whole host of, of things thrown into the mix there, really. I'm, I'm hoping it's, yeah, getting more on the agenda, especially for the bigger companies who employ, you know, like you said, 27,000 people. That's amazing. But ensuring that, that they're all... I suppose for productivity, that's that's going to be from a businessman's point of view. If they're going to produce me more work and they're going to be off sick less, then this is important. So I get it. But even looking at little independents, they might have no clue that that's important. So I'm just intrigued to know, but it's good. I'm hoping as we talk more and more about this in social media and things like that, that people will start cottoning on that we need to make sure it's more inclusive in the workplace as well. Otherwise, it's hard for us to work full stop and our economy will go crazier than it already is but i've heard a new term being banded around and i don't know what it is future workspaces is that relevant to this is it for neurodivergent people what are future workspaces that's a really good question actually what are future workspaces i've just written a blog all about this actually so i'm I'm currently delivering a a future workspace program for an international leading bank and the concept of I mean, I know lots of people talk about future workspaces, but this specifically was their future workspace program. So to give it some context, it's about, you know, they've got some priorities at the moment, and one of which is how do we encourage people to come back to the workspace, i.e. how do we create a psychologically safe workspace for them to want to come back to that justifies the travel and the spend to come back in and their time away from their home effectively. So we created, my objective of the project has been to create the future blueprints of the future, basically, which sounds, I don't know, it sounds a bit grand, but in terms of, you know, what does a future co- contact centre look like, for example? What does a future graduate training space look like, for example? And there are 12 individual spaces that we've just, my, me and my colleague have just created for them. And now we're going through a three-month evaluation, um, and then we'll be presenting our blueprints in April, early first week of April. And that's been a seven-month project. So, you know, it's just about learning, understanding how we can adapt our existing workspaces to promote happiness and health and productivity within a workspace based on people's needs post-pandemic. I think that would be the best way to explain it. And I think there are a lot of questions around what does the future look like? And of course, we can't see into the future and we don't have all of the answers yet. But what we can do is we can learn from our employees. So rather, for example, than just creating a workspace based on a designer telling us this is what we should do, why don't we engage our employees as part of this process and understand with support and focus groups and, and bringing them in an engagement and understanding how they want to work now? Because it is different pre-pandemic. There is no doubt about it. So rather than guessing which I think a lot of businesses fall into the trap of it's just like anticipating well that looks nice or we think that they'll need that but let's go to the core these people know the answers and if they don't know the answers let's help them come to the answers themselves so I've just written an article for the Guardian and I've got a blog on my website about hack spaces which is a concept I designed um, just a few months ago and they're areas that that basically promote opportunity for independence and autonomy they're that's the whole point of them so I've written articles there's more information um, on my blog on there but effectively it's providing spaces that will allow employees to work the ways that they feel 
that they are going to best complete their task plan that particular day and then observing those spaces and then with these observational studies that we're doing we're able to learn the behaviors the new behaviors post-pandemic and then we'll introduce more of what works well in the, in the blueprints and less of what doesn't work well in the blueprints so it's just studying and learning and assessing about what what people need and what they want now when they come to work does that make that's, sense does that answer your question yeah, i feel that's, that's a bit of a it's yeah, a deep one yeah we'll have to well i'll be listening to that again when i edit this trying to go hmm. Okay, let's see if I get this. That's, <laughs> it does sound interesting. And, and I'm hoping that more of them will get on board with it. And I guess for you as well, with your business, you started just as yourself. And like you said, now you have 10 associates. Have you had to make amendments yourself to make it more inclusive for all the Because di- you've got people from very different backgrounds and with specialties and things like that on board. Have you had to make amendments within your own business to help them? I mean, it's all about flexibility, isn't it? For me, I mean, I say as a question, but it's flexibility for me. I mean, I'm very flexible. You know, having ADHD—that's certainly one of the pros. Is I don't, I actually don't work well with rigidity. Actually, I prefer flexibility and the freedom to be able to evolve. And I learn ever such a lot from these people. You know, every time I do something, I involve associate. I always say, you know, tell me what you think. You know, does this work for you? Do you feel comfortable with this? How does this look? And they'll come up with these crazy amazing ideas and I'm just blown away by them I've got goosebumps actually talking about it I just they're just incredible because I'll always provide a space for them to be able to share their thoughts and their opinions and this is what it all comes back to in in terms of even the workspaces we just want to work as human beings in a space that promotes independence and flexibility and choice and that is going to result in empowerment and when people are empowered they're going to perform in a way that that's incredible. And we can learn so much as employers and, and colleagues and even employees. You know, I think it's just about creating that space to be able to share and learn and be creative and be flexible and adaptable. My last question, really, which you may have already kind of answered, but we'll, we'll have a go, is say that you are working for a company and you've tried to approach them to make a few changes to help your well-being and they just don't or they, they make out they'll do it one day, whatever. Is there anything you can do for yourself to make work life easier because obviously people can say we'll just leave the job and go somewhere else but it's not that easy in this climate you know when you're just lucky you've got a job and to keep that and, and hope for the best there for, for, for a lot of people so if you are stuck and you can't change your job is there ways that you can do things for your own workspace yourself that will make it just a little bit easier to cope there until you can you know find another job that won't necessarily annoy a, a, a boss or they might not even notice to be fair Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always been about small things. The small things seem for me are much more achievable and much more sustainable and ultimately, you know, usually the most more cost-effective solutions. So it's just understanding where you think that you as an individual are lacking or your balance is out of kilter, maybe we should call it balance. So for me, for my example, would have been social connection. I was not, I did not have enough social connection working from home and it was, it was really getting me down. And I would just re on, I guess. That's just what I've always done. It's just do more, do more, must be more, must create more, must do more. And actually just stopping and reflecting and looking at how I felt and just being in that. You know, I did a lot of Reiki as well. And that's been really helpful, actually. I, I realized that and I understand why I have this, why I had this reluctance to be amongst people and just recognizing that and actually going out and making sure that I was still able to to have that social connection with people and, and not feel so isolated. So it was just that self-awareness, I think is what I'm saying. But then for someone else, you might say, well, actually, I get 
great social connection at my workspace. So that definitely isn't a challenge for me. Okay, well, what else is it that you feel that that is lacking or that you could do with more of? Might be something like, I'm exhausted because I have to travel so much into the workspace. Okay, well, have a, could you have a conversation with your employer and talk about maybe working from home for a couple of days a week? Or it might be the working environment. It just isn't conducive to the work that they're carrying out. You know, they've got one station, it's fixed. It's in a noisy workspace with lots of salespeople or contact center around them. And it's, just, it's really hard to, to concentrate. Again, what can you do to your workstation to try to adapt that? Would you be able to go and work in another area, knowing that you've got a really admin-orientated task, to go and focus and have some quiet time, put your headphones in and just maybe take a moment to restore and relax and then reset in a quiet environment? So it's just about really listening to your needs and being conscious of the tasks that you need to carry out in that day. Um, Those would be the two things I would say really help me. Yeah, I want to look for some sound cancelling earphones, but they're quite hefty prices, the ones that do the best, aren't they? So for now, I think the brown noise and some cheap headphones are going to work for me. But um, I think in an office, I definitely need them just to shut people out, I think, if I'm stuck in an open plan and no one's putting those amazing things in that you've been talking about. Thank you so much for coming on. This is really interesting. It's given me a lot of food for thought about my own environment and the fact that I do need to find a way of occasionally socialising. I think socialising is a really important thing to do. So I'm going to have to think of a way to do that. And I suppose lastly, how do people find you? There might be some businesses listening here or some people that are thinking, do you know what, I need to make some changes and I need to find out from this um, very talented lady what, what I've got to do. Where can they find you on, on the internet? Uh, so I have a website, which is kirstyhayward.com. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm, I'm very proactive on LinkedIn. I'm always posting videos about things you can do to your workspace and, and just showing useful tips and hints. Uh, so that's just Kirsty Haywood. And I'm the one with a little gold star next to my name just to help that stand out. And hopefully you're going to write me a little, little blog from my website so that I can uh, post some, a few tips based on what we've talked about today because it sounds really interesting. And I think there's a lot there that, that can really help our brains in particular. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. If you've liked this episode, please help us out by liking, subscribing or leaving us a review as this helps us to reach more people. If you've got any ideas about topics to cover on future episodes or questions about the pod, or you even want to be interviewed for it, please get in touch on our socials using at mindvoxpod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, or email us on mindvoxpod at gmail.com.